Well, uh, I have a couple questions for you. Our text for today, if you look at your bulletin, um, it only shows part of the text, and that's my fault. I did not communicate fully with Aaron. But he gave me license to preach on as much or as little as I wanted to. So, you know, I did more than he put down. So we will be reading uh, Matthew four, uh, 14, uh, Matthew 13, uh, 53 through 14, 12. 13, 53 through 14, 12. Um, today's text is, is different in that what we've, than what we've been reading. Up until now, we've been, uh, it's been really, uh, I've found it exciting and informative and thrilling. It's as if we've been sitting at the feet of Jesus, hearing his teaching personally. Lots of teaching, lots of parables, and then the explanations. It's been wonderful. Well, today is a transitional passage. It's more of a uh, history, if you will, uh, an accounting of events. But as I dug into it, um, I I was I found it extremely meaningful. And it's um, it's if uh, we're talking about the king and his kingdom, then I, I guess a title for today would be the kingdom under attack. It is a dark passage in that the subject matter is is heavy but uh have you ever had things go horribly wrong have you ever sat back rocked back on your heels and say you know lord i've been following your commands i'm my conscience is clean i i've done things right not not in an arrogant sense but you can look at your record and say i i did what was asked of me how am i in this position how did things go so wrong or maybe i hope this is not the case but i'm sure we've all been here maybe you're sitting back saying i i i've i've followed my appetites i've made some bad choices and things are seem to be spiraling out of control how did i get here maybe you're a parent who poured your heart and soul into a child into a nephew, into a grandchild, you gave them the good teaching. You gave them the Christ-loving home, the father and mother that they were supposed to have, and yet they rage against your teaching. They slander you. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's your coworkers who will never forget who you were and never see who you are now in Christ. Maybe you're sitting in a prison cell on the other side of the world because you dared to preach the gospel. Or maybe you made one choice in secret that you knew was wrong, and next thing you know, you've made a lot of choices, and you are facing dire circumstances. Well, if you're in either one of those camps, I think this passage has an encouragement, a stern exhortation, albeit implied, and offers great hope. So without me talking anymore, let us read the passage, pray, and then dive into it, really dissect it. So Matthew 13, uh, 13 starting in verse 53. 
And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that coming into his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are, are not all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and is in his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Chapter 14. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl and she brought it to her mother and his disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly father, this is. On first reading, this is a dark tale, Lord. These are troubling events, Father. And so um, we know that your word is perfect and it is good for our instruction and our edification and our teaching. And so, Father, I pray that you would peel back the layers of this passage and that you, O Lord, would teach us that you would have an encouragement for us, a a word for us. a a promise for us in this text i pray that you would reveal more of your character and your nature and your power and your love father give us a deeper understanding of you of our position in you of the kingdom lord and so lord we we come to this text uh hungry and with anticipation father i pray that you would speak through me you would get me out of the way that you would have a word for all of us here and that our hearts would be soft and ready for your word. It is in your son's name I pray. Amen. Now, um, I hope you can forgive me. I'm wearing shorts today, but I knew it was going to be hot. And this is very, I just want you to know, I'm very uncomfortable up here in shorts, but also very comfortable. So I hope you can forgive me. And, And I brought a water bottle. So, you know, 
I feel like I need forgiveness for this. It's very different for me. So uh, let us let us tuck in here, um, starting in verse 53. And Jesus had finished these parables. He went away from there. Well, these parables that he's finished, we, we've been talking about them for weeks, right? The parable of the hidden treasure, the pearl of great value, the parable of the net, new and old treasure. Uh, for the past couple of weeks, we've been looking at this concept of treasure and great worth and the high value of the gospel, of the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. Uh, and Jesus, uh, he finishes and he returns to his hometown to preach there. Um, and he preaches in the synagogue and they were astonished at his teaching and not in a good way. What you need to understand is um, these words that they're saying are slanderous. These are insults. They are baseless. They uh, have no foundation, but um, they're offended at his message. Let's look at some of the things that they say. Uh, they were astonished. Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? They're questioning his education, his ability. And they're basically saying, is this not the carpenter's son? This idiot is just a son of a carpenter. He never sat at the feet of a great rabbi. He didn't go to some fancy school. He's one of us. He's a Rutland kid or a Fairhaven kid or a, an Ira kid. Who does he think he is? I mean, we know his mom. Isn't his mother called Mary? Uh, and uh, we know his brothers. Oh boy, do we know his brothers. Joseph, uh, Judas, James, we know them. Oh, we know his brothers. They're throwing family into the mix. Um, and are not all his sisters with us. We married their sisters. We know the real story about their household. We know the truth about this family. So you get the sense that even his brother-in-laws, I think we could say, are turning against Jesus, leveling accusations at him. Um, and they took offense at him. Now, this is, this is the second time that Christ has gone to Nazareth since he began his ministry. And when we look at the first time, uh, it is quite remarkable, I suppose, that he would return. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he, this is Jesus, this is shortly after his time in the wilderness, wilderness, the temptation of Christ. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit is of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news 
to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he tells them when he has their attention in, and he's rolled up the scroll. It's a very dramatic scene. In verse 21, he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He says, in effect, to those who have the ears to hear, the Messiah is in your midst. The long promised Messiah of Isaiah is in your midst. And rather than breaking into rapturous joy, um, tears of joy, uh, celebration. Um, in verse 29, they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him off the cliff. His friends, possibly some of his family, the town that he grew up in sought to murder him. They sought to murder him, to kill him. Now, you and I are not the Lord Jesus Christ, but let's, let's use our imagination. Think of the town you grew up in. Maybe, maybe you lived in one town for a long time as a child and you have a lot of you know, both good and bad memories, but there's nostalgia there. You remember the store maybe you rode to on your bicycle, the friends that you played baseball with, um, the kids that you went to the pool with, um, the kindly shop owner that you bought your grandmother's cigarettes at. I, I don't know. The barber that you had as a child. Imagine coming back, proclaiming the gospel, and those people want to kill you. And they take all that shared history and turn it against you to try to slander you, ridicule you. I don't think I need to tell you that is, that is some of the deepest pain you can feel, especially if it's your own family. If you've ever been in the experience of a family member turning your shared history against you whether fairly or unfairly, and needling you with that. This is the position that Christ is in. So that was just his first return to Nazareth. And then he returns a second time. And take a look at his response. He says, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own household putting his finger on, identifying that, that deepest pain, his own household. And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. But lest you think that Christ is cold and unfeeling, we find out in a parallel account in the Gospels that though he did not do many mighty works there, he did, he couldn't help himself. He did heal several who were sick and infirmed. Jesus Christ is always a compassionate Savior whether he's having a good day or he's suffering the deepest pain, our Savior is always the compassionate one. But he moves on, and it gives some weight 
to what Jesus said earlier that may have sounded cold when he said in Matthew 4, I believe it is. Matthew 12, sorry. Matthew 12. Maybe this helps us understand this passage even better. Um, 12:46. While he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. And so now we get an even further picture. Far from being just a cold rejection of his family, this is beautiful. Christ is saying, though your family reject you and your faith. All those who do the will of the Lord are your family. Christ leaves there because of their unbelief. He goes to minister to his family, his eternal family. In his deepest pain, our compassionate Lord goes to his family. And we'll spend some more time on that in a minute, but let's get to chapter 14 because we have an at that time or meanwhile, while this was going on, Christ's forerunner, John the Baptist, is having an even worse time of it. Let's just read that again, starting in verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus. And he said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has been raised from the dead. Now, why would Herod say that Jesus is John the Baptist raised from the dead? Because last time we heard from John the Baptist, he was sitting in prison and he just needed to hear from Jesus. I I need to hear from you that you are the Messiah. Are you truly the Messiah? Well, This is why, because Herod, I think it's safe to say, is paranoid. For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Herod was living with his brother's wife. And if that's not bad enough, Herodias is also his half-sister. And so while we have indication in the scripture that Herod was not a disciple, certainly, but he followed John the Baptist in as much as he was interested in what he had to say. He listened to his teaching. And Herod, in his way, the records show, Herod the Tetrarch tried to follow the Jewish religion. He tried. But like many monarchs of his day and many politicians of our day and many, many folks who are in power, he thought he was exceptional and could bend the rules. And so he was not a Sadducee who don't believe in resurrection, which is why they are sad, you see. That was something I learned in Sunday school. 
Herod believed in the resurrection, and now his paranoia and his guilt have fueled this belief that this Jesus, who I don't know where G, where Herod was, if he was living under a rock, but he's here finally hearing about this Jesus, believes this is John the Baptist come back to life. Maybe, maybe he was worried that John the Baptist has come back to haunt him in the afterlife. I don't know. That's just a projection there. But Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. Now, was John the Baptist uh, straying from his mission to prepare the way for the Lord by addressing the king and calling on his moral condition? Was he straying from his lane? Was he straying from the brief? I don't think so. If we, if we look back at the life of John the Baptist, real briefly, we, we get a very good picture in, in Luke. If you, if you want to know more about John the Baptist, um, I really encourage you to read the book of Luke. Um, his birth, the, the foretelling of his birth, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, beautiful story. Um, but we get a little glimpse of, of what his mission was, what his ministry was in Luke chapter 3. In the 15th year, the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and then they give you the whole political situation there, uh, during the high priesthood of Anna. Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. It is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. And and get a load of this message. This is great. And he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able to raise from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every trees that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked, what then shall we do? And he answered them, whoever has two tunics, share it with one who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. And he said, and they said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more tax than you are authorized. Soldiers asked him, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. 
And he said to them, you know, I baptize but water with water, but one is coming who will baptize in spirit. And this is Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist's message was basically this. Don't rest on the fact that you are Jewish, your lineage. Repent of your sins. One is coming who will forgive your sins. You need to repent of your sins. And we're going to know that you repented of your sins because we'll see the fruit in your actions. So we can quite uh, safely and logically say that whether in person or through a messenger, Herod, who is very conscious of being Jewish and claiming his, his right as king, may have sent a message to John the Baptist or asked himself, said, what shall I do? And John the Baptist said, if you truly repent of your sin, do away with this woman. Send her back to her husband. This is sin. This is sin. Wrong answer, says Herod. <laughs> Wrong answer. Look, look, I, I like what you're doing, John. I, I'm willing to avoid the coming wrath, but what you ask is too much love is love. Can't you just let love be love? John the Baptist says, no, this is wrong. This is wrong. And if you think Herod was upset about this, his half-sister, now live-in girlfriend, is even more furious about this. Let us read on. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. Now we know from a parallel passage that this was a big public celebration. He invited nobles and generals and anybody who was anybody to come to this birthday party. So he's making this oath um, in public, and very much in public. Prompted by her mother, she said, give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oath and his guests, he commanded it to be given. Can't lose sight and can't lose can't lose face in front of these esteemed guests. I have to carry through. He, he gave the command. He sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And the disciples came and took the body and buried it. And they went and told Jesus. It's a sad tale. I have some observations. I have some exhortations. And I have an encouragement for you. First, I want to make some observations. First, Jesus and John the Baptist, we, we, I think we can safely say they've encountered some persecution. They've encountered what may look like a setback. I want you to know here, the problem is not the message. The problems here do not stem 
from the gospel message. The message does not need to be changed. It does not need to be softened. It does not need to be altered. The problem is the sinful heart of man. And he did not do many works, verse 58, because of their unbelief. I think of, uh, I don't know if it was a quote or if it was from Shakespeare, but Julius Caesar, the problem, Brutus, lies not in the stars, but in us. We are mere mortals. The problem is not the eternal message of God. It is not the gospel. It is the sinful, depraved heart of man. James asks, what is the source of conflicts among you? It's us. What we want. What we can't get. Herod wants this woman. The people don't want to acknowledge that this one that grew up in their midst, they don't want to humble themselves and admit that this carpenter's son is the Messiah. They don't want to face up to the lives they've lived in front of their Messiah. That is the problem. Um, If you would turn with me to to Psalms. Psalm 2 puts us in, in an even more global context. I think this is really informative. Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? And the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The nations rage against the counsel of the Lord and his anointed, Jesus Christ. King David knew this. And things haven't changed. They still set themselves against the Lord and his anointed and his anointed followers against us. What is the response from the Lord? He who sits in the heavens laughs. And the Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. 
And so Psalm 2, I want to transition to my warning. Yes, to kings, to the Herods of our day who rage and plot against the the anointed, against the Lord, but also to us, to us. Maybe maybe we could see ourselves in Herod in, in an episode very much like King David. Look how things spiraled out of control for Herod because he would not give up that thing that he wanted, that relationship that he wanted. He knew it was wrong. He would not give it, give it up. We descend into, um, we see a progression of the illicit thing he wanted, his brother's wife. Moral depravity. I mean, this is incestuous. And he has his niece slash stepdaughter dancing for him. We won't dig into that, but that's that's just dark. That's evil. We don't need a we don't need a complex word study to figure that out. And then murder, bloodshed. Folks, moral depravity, sexual immorality often is begat in and ends in violence. Very often it is begat in and it ends in violence in one form or another. And a sin that is protected, that is nurtured, that is not repented of grows like unleavened, like a weed in your garden, like a crack in the foundation, like cancer. Let us not nurture sin. When the word is preached and we are offended because it hits too close to the mark, that is a grace from God. That hot red poker is a grace from God saying, you need to work on this, Matthew, right there. And I will help you. When the John the Baptist says to King Herod, you should not have this woman. That is a grace from God to King Herod. That is a blessed chance. That is a blessed opportunity at repentance. When the teacher stands up in our midst, a messenger from God who we grew up with, we knew him as a child. We know the family he comes from, offends us with his message of truth and power from the word of God. And ourself says, yeah, but I know your family. You come here, you want to teach me, my little brother, my, my old. No, that is a grace from God reaching into our, our lives, getting us at our, at our deepest need, our, our deepest pain, saying you need to work on this. Let's not be the crowd raging against the truth. Let us not be a Herod uh, shepherding, harnessing, feeding that sin. It all spirals out of control. Herod, 
uh, the crowd in Nazareth chased Jesus up to the cliff to murder him. Now Jesus is delivered. Jesus gets away through the power of the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist is murdered. He's murdered. He's killed. A sin protected, a truth rejected, spirals out of control. Repentance, repentance, repentance. Now an encouragement. If you would turn with me to Hebrews 4. Fifteen, four, fifteen. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. Brothers and sisters, as we'll see when we read through Matthew, but even just what we see now, we have a great high priest who has suffered all the slights, all the temptation, all the darkness of this world, and yet without sin and has conquered. He is sympathetic to us. He is sympathetic. So draw, come with boldness and confidence to his throne in prayer, to his his word, looking for instruction. Have you been rejected by your family, by your loved ones, by your community? Do your children, do your nephews, do they rage against the gospel? Do the people you grow up with, do they hold on to who you were before you were sanctified? And they still see you as that? I mean, Jesus Christ was sinless. So the claims and the slanders against him are even more baseless than whatever someone may level against us. well, you're just so-and-so from West Rutland, or you're just so-and-so. That was a bad family. And maybe behind your back, they say, you know, his dad was a bad egg. He's a bad egg. That pain is very real to Jesus Christ. He can sympathize with you. And he has all power, all power to help you. And he is through and through from top to bottom, the compassionate savior, the loving savior. We saw that even at his second rejection in Nazareth, he took time to heal the sick. And as we will see next week, how does Jesus respond to this, to these trials and these tribulations and this, this torment? He feeds the 5,000. 
He looks on the people who have followed him, even as he was trying to get away to get some peace. And he has compassion because they are hungry. He has compassion for you and your trial and your tribulation. And even more than that, uh, James tells us to consider it all joy when we suffer these persecutions. We are sharing in the experience. We're sharing in the trials of Jesus. We are sharing in his future glory, which is astounding. And Revelation 2.10, we read it this morning. Revelation 2.10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Faithful unto death. There is a crown of life waiting for you. And as we saw further in the chapter, there is a tree of life, hidden manna, a white stone with your name on it. Perfect provision. Perfect uh, care. Friendship. Complete forgiveness. Complete victory. A new identity. In Christ, all wrapped up in that picture of the hidden manna, the stone. I have something better for you than success, comfort, peace in this life. If I could use some really redneck language that resonates with me, I've got a big, perfect party for you in heaven with me, Jesus Christ. Isn't that better? Isn't that better than wasting our time worrying and fretting, trying to convince this world that we're not a bad person? No, this is true. Fighting for our rights or nursing hidden sin, trying to justify it, bending over backwards to make it all work. It's all headed for chaos and violence, my friends. I have a question for you. What does it look like when God's plans fail? What does it look like? Nobody knows because it has never happened. So we may find ourselves in jail. We may find ourselves ostracized, alienated from our family for preaching the gospel. But know that God's plans, his word has never failed. I would have you turn to a couple places. Let's turn to Acts 4. As the prayer of the saints as they were facing persecution. Acts 4. These are saints being released from prison. 25. 
When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our servant, through the mouth of your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together and the against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. This is the day of Pentecost. We find out that all of this, all of this trial and tribulation, it was all predestined by the Lord. We could turn to Psalm 32 to get, again, an even broader vision of this. Psalm 32. Ten through twelve. Psalm. I think I got the wrong reference. Well, we will read it. It's great. <laughs> Psalm 32:10. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but the steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts the Lord. Be glad in the in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in how in heart. God's plans are never thwarted. His counsel stands forever. Uh, this morning we're reading in Revelations about Christ is the one who maintains the lampstands, that is, establishes, tears down, maintains the churches. Satan will never prevail against God's plans. And though we may suffer, though we may uh, be persecuted, and we will, Romans tells us, if you are a follower of Christ and you seek to live a righteous lifestyle, you will be persecuted. It will happen. Not only are we held in God's hand, not only is there reward in eternity, not only will he preserve us to eternal life, but he has predestined this to happen. It is his plan that this will happen. We can take great confidence and great joy in that. So get out there and preach the word. Get out there and preach the world. The world needs to hear the gospel. And again, 
Maybe you and I need to hear the gospel. Maybe we need that pressure point. If we find ourselves bending over backwards to maintain this hidden sin, brothers and sisters, be done with it. Be done with it. Get help. Repent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. But not just because it's it's nice to read, Lord, but because it is true. It is from your mouth. It is from your mind. It is from your heart. Father, it tells us who you are. It tells us who we are. Father, give us the strength in a world that is, at least in my lifetime, Lord, I I know this is nothing new, but for my lifetime, it seems that where I live is turning increasingly against you, Father. Give us strength. Give me strength. Give me the perseverance, Lord, um, to endure persecution. Father, I want to be like John the Baptist. I want to be like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I want to proclaim the word to the Lord, uh, the word to the world, Lord. And I know that I will face persecution for that. I know my brothers and sisters will. And I pray that you will strengthen them, that you will prepare them for this, that we will see your mighty hand, your mighty deeds in this, Lord. Prepare us for this. Father, May we not be like the crowds at Nazareth or like Herod. Oh, God forbid it, Lord, that we reject the truth. That we fail to repent of our sins, Lord, that we. May we not. Just cover them up or nurse them or 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 persist in them, Lord, but but soften our hearts, make us. Make it repugnant to us, Lord. Father, we love you. We desperately need you. And we praise you that you are are here. You have saved us. You are within reach. We can access you. We can come to your throne, Lord. Pray that you'll guide us through this week, that you will strengthen us. You will be with us. You will be our, our guide, our stay our steady hand, Lord. Amen.